Thirty years ago, a small British company called Acorn Computers launched the BBC Micro. This computer was nothing much by today's standards. It had 32 kilobytes of main memory and a 2 megahertz processor. In every way, this computer was thousands of times less capable than the phone in your pocket. And yet, without the team that built this odd-looking machine, you probably wouldn't have that phone. Because many of the inventions which are critical, many of the inventions which enable today's digital consumer technologies are the legacy of the BBC Micro project and the team which originally built it. I'm joined by Steve Ferber, who is a professor of computer engineering at Manchester University. He was the co-inventor of the BBC Micro, and I began by asking how he became involved in this amazing project. I've been involved with Acorn since its outset, um, when Herman and Chris uh, founded it in the late 1970s. At the time, I was a research fellow at Emmanuel College, um, and my day job, if you like, was, was working on aerodynamics. But I got interested in computers, joined the Cambridge University Processor Group, and got invited to contribute to the embryonic Acorn when it formed. And I started sketching a machine to be a, a dual processor machine when uh, I think it was Chris heard about the BBC's interest in using the micro to support a, a series of computer programs. And uh, effectively, the front end of my dual processor design got morphed to a series of steps into the BBC Micro itself. The BBC Micro was an astonishingly original vision compared to other products of the era. For example, American firms like Compaq and IBM were making steel-clad monsters for corporate clients which cost in excess of $6,000. And in Britain, Sinclair Research made toy computers like the ZX81 which were very little more than calculators. Acorn's BBC Micro really was something quite different. Yes, well, the spec of the BBC Micro was ultimately determined through negotiations between Acorn and the BBC. Um, but there were examples to follow. The predecessor to the BBC Micro at Acorn was the Atom, which was a, a, a small plastic box with a keyboard in that would connect to external peripherals. And, of course, there was also the example of the Apple II um, at that time, which, again, was a, a box with a keyboard. Uh, so the, the configuration of the BBC Micro wasn't completely unique. What was unusual about it was the range of interfaces that it offered. The box was just riddled with connectors of various shapes and sizes and different levels of functionality. Uh, and that really um, was a result of quite a sophisticated spec that the BBC was looking for in terms of what could be connected to the machine on the outside. And that was something that meant a lot to me as a student, because I remember we built, say, a, a simple traffic light system in which the computer controlled a, a bunch of external lights. This was a very easy thing to do for someone with novice programming ability. And the irony is, on modern computers, the sort of things you might... This sort of job is, is actually quite hard. Yeah, some, some of that's to do with the way technology is advanced. So on the BBC Micro, um, things were running at clock rates in the region of a megahertz. And you can pass a megahertz down um, a fairly simple ribbon cable um, or individual bits of wire. Uh, today's computers are running at speeds which are in the hundreds of megahertz or gigahertz and require much more careful engineering to get good signal integrity. Um, now, of course, you could still build a one megahertz peripheral um, onto a modern computer. 
um, and, and indeed um, variants of that are available, but they aren't standard. Um, they're things you have to go out and find. It would be a real understatement to say that the BBC Micro had an impact on education. Just about every school in the UK had labs equipped with these machines. Just about every school began implementing courses in basic programming. It seems to me that these computers inspired a generation of developers, people like me, who owe our career to your team's invention. Yes, the, the Micro had, had a big influence uh, in schools and, and in other places. Um, and of course... Uh, its success exceeded everybody's expectations. So in our early discussions with the BBC, uh, they were confidently saying that on the back of the program, Acorn should expect to sell about 12,000 of these machines. Uh, and we all know that that turned out to be a hopeless underestimate by a factor greater than 100. We, in the end, we shipped about 1.5 million BBC micros and variants. Um, and... and it was just an interesting time. The, the the public was very ready to pick up and learn about computers. Um, and computers were only just coming within reach of uh, individuals at home and schools for educational purposes. So there was a huge appetite to take these machines on. Um, the BBC Micro uh, was the leader in the UK in education and therefore, of course, attracted... Um, all the educational software developers. And, and so the whole thing snowballed. It, it was extremely rewarding that the machine was such a success and, of course, had a big impact on on, uh, on a lot of people, not just yourself. Um, I still regularly meet people who say that the BBC Micro was the thing that set the direction for their subsequent career. That, that certainly resonates with me. One of the most endearing things about the BBC Micro as a learning tool was that you simply had to just switch it on and it would be instantly ready to receive a program. If you compare that with a modern developer system, if I wanted to teach my son how to write a trivial Android application, I'd probably need to spend a week showing him how to use Eclipse and write a load of boilerplate configuration files. And all this would be before I'd even got round to implementing Hello World. So do you feel there's a need for something a bit more like the BBC Micro today? Something, that, something which lets novice programmers be productive. I certainly think that the, uh, the displacement today of the BBC Micro, which after all is a machine designed for education, um, with conventional PCs, which are machines designed for, for offices, um, has uh, put quite a high barrier between uh, pupils using the machine and the interesting and creative sides um, of the machine itself. Uh, so it has become fundamentally um, much harder to write a simple program and get the reward of seeing it work quickly. Um, quite a few people today are thinking about this problem and um, what could be done to, to put um, simple programming interfaces back within reach of pupils at school and enthusiasts at home. And, and there are some quite interesting developments um, on that front. Um, so I think there's a general recognition that, that, that Today's PC um, has put the user too far away from the engine, um, and things need to change. We need somehow to find a way to get back in control and back into the creative seat in the machine. The most common home computers these days are things like Xboxes or iPads, which are arguably even worse than the PC at keeping you far from the engine of computing. They're amazing machines, but they're completely closed to the average user. 
as computers are getting better, do you feel that our society might be becoming less computer literate? I, I think there's, there's quite a lot of concern about uh, the general level of, of familiarity of users with technology today. And, and I would agree that machines such as the iPad, whilst, whilst amazingly useful, are virtually impossible for the average user to program um, to deliver results directly. Some of that, of course, is, is the closed shop of, of the iTunes store, um, but some of it is just the sheer sophistication of the interfaces that you need to learn how to drive before you can write sensible programs. On the other hand, there are other bits of technology which move the user much closer, so um, in, in the consumer domain, then, the Lego Mindstorms offers a fairly directly accessible microcontroller with, with um, bits of mechanics and sensors. Um, so you can get that closer to the machine, but it's in a different environment from um, the iPad or the PC. Um, it's getting back down into microcontrollers and, and doing much lower level stuff in a much simpler environment where I think people can, can find room to express their creativity with machines. What about the way that schools are teaching kids to use computers today? More than one Pod Delusion contributor has complained that schools have almost entirely given up teaching programming as we would understand it. ICT lessons seem to focus on use of office applications or perhaps use of computers to support literacy in other topics. Has this change in emphasis had any kind of impact on the first year students who come to study at your university? So I, I've been uh, chairing the Royal Society study, which has been looking into how computing is taught in schools, um, but we're not quite ready to report yet, so I can't talk about the conclusions of that report. They, they will be, become public shortly. Uh, but, of course, there has been quite a lot in the press already this year. Um, there's been the Eric Schmidt McTaggart lecture, um, where he noted with astonishment that the teaching of computer science in UK schools uh, appeared to have uh, uh, ceased, and the government certainly picked up on Eric Schmidt's comments, and, and we've we've heard some fairly positive comments from government ministers about the need to get back to computer science in schools, and more recently, um, the Livingston report coming from the computer games and and uh, uh, the so-called creative industries um, has also been. Um, uh, complaining about the, the, the lack of, of, of real computing education um, in the British system. And the government, again, has responded fairly positively to that and, and supported the conclusions. So there has been quite a lot in, in the press of late about a need to um, reintroduce um, some of the creative aspects of computing um, into the school's curriculum. But as I say... Um, my personal views on that um, have fed into the Royal Society report, which is at this moment um, not public. Of all your inventions, the BBC Micro is perhaps the one that had the most impact on my life. But as the original BBC products became obsolete, they were replaced with a new range of computers called the Acorn Archimedes. And even though these computers were never commercially successful of themselves, much of the technology that your team invented for this range of computers has had an enormous impact. Uh, yes, so following on from the success of the BBC Micro, and I think directly attributable to that success was the development of the ARM processor at Acorn, which um, we developed for the Archimedes product originally, 
Um, Archimedes was 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 reasonably successful as far as the company was concerned, but never um, became anything big globally. Uh, but the ARM processor that we developed for it was became of interest to Apple, who wanted to use it in their Newton, and they approached ARM to propose setting up a joint venture to develop the ARM. Um, and of course, today, ARM is responsible for the processors in something like 98% of all mobile phones and in iPads and other tablets and, and many other digital products. The heritage of the BBC Micro which is the ARM processor, is now the world's most successful microprocessor, and um, over 20 billion of them have been shipped in, in all manner of different products. I have a suspicion uh, that ARM is responsible for more computing power on the planet than everybody else in the history of computing put together. The BBC Micro, the project from which we've derived so much value, was a fairly modest government collaboration in order to improve computer literacy. It's clearly paid for itself many times over. Were we to do something like this today, the computer systems required could be built for a tiny fraction of the original price. It's not unreasonable to expect that investment in real computer literacy might continue to yield huge dividends. This is Salim Fadley for The Pod Delusion.